Well, there was a, there was a drunk who stumbled on to the subway one time and, and, and he smelled like alcohol. And as he got into the subway, into the car, he sat right next to a priest. And the priest looked at him and, and he saw that, that uh, he had a torn coat. He had a half bottle of, of empty gin in his pocket. He was covered with red lipstick and he smelled. And the drunk began reading his paper. And finally, he leaned over and, and, and he said, Father, what's the cause of arthritis? And, and, and the priest looked at him and thought for a moment and he said, Son, it's caused by loose living, being with cheap, wicked women, too much alcohol, and a contempt for your fellow man. The drunk looked at him like, wow. As if he could barely believe that the priest said that. A couple minutes later, the priest, feeling sorry that he came on too strong, he, he said, son, I, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for, for coming on to you so so strong like that? How long have you been suffering from arthritis? And the drunk looked at him and said, Oh, not me. I was just reading in the paper the Pope has arthritis. <laughs> well, as pastors, we get an opportunity to go visit homes semi-frequently, and, and there is a new pastor who came in, and he, he went to one of the parishioners' houses, and, and he, he knew that people were home, and he, and he knocked on the door, and he kept knocking, and, and finally decided, you know, I'm going to just, just take out a business card. And, and on the back of it, he wrote, Revelation 3.20. Well, the next week, as they were clearing out the offering plate, that same card came back to him. But on it was a cryptic message, and it said, Genesis 3.10. So the pastor, he, he got his Bible and, and, and he looked it up. He knew Revelations 3.20 says, I stand at the door and knock. But when he read Genesis 3.10, he had to laugh because it said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid for I was naked. <laughs> well, good morning, friends. My name is Phil Chapman and I serve as the campus pastor at our Indian Creek campus. And today... I have the distinct pleasure to teach on one of my favorite subjects of all time, the Bible. You see, I committed my life to Jesus Christ a quarter of a century ago. I just thought about that as I prepared for this. 25 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. It was the single best decision that I've ever made in my life. Do you know what the second best decision was? Some would say it would be my wife. Some would say that, that it would be having children or, or becoming a pastor. Those are all great. My second most, after the fact of giving my life to Jesus Christ, was to choose to read the Word. It was 1993, just after Christmas, my brother Jeff and I were sitting there watching the Chicago Bears. Jim Harbaugh was the quarterback, and Kevin Butler, he was kicking a field goal. And just beyond the net where the football went into, 
was a man holding a white sign. And inscripted on the sign was John 3.16. I had been a Christian at that point for two and a half years. My brother leans over to me and he says, what in the world does John 3.16 mean? I said, I don't know. But my grandma had given me a Bible that sits on my desk over at Indian Creek. And I knew where that was located and I went and, and, and found it and, and I'm sure that it took us a while to get to John 3.16 and I read it. And at that moment, my life changed because God's word grabbed me. I changed my major from pre-law to religion philosophy. My passion, my desire was to read and know the word. I love God's word. And today we get to talk about it. But why are we talking about it in this series? On October 31st of this year, we are celebrating the 500th year of the nailing of the, of the 95 Theses by Martin Luther. The Reformation started. It had started prior to that in the learning and the studying of many men, including Martin Luther. But that's when we say that the Reformation started. We have a little video to just give you a short introduction. In the 16th century, the church practice of indulgence had become corrupted. People were charging money in exchange for the forgiveness of sins. The leaders of the church were abusing God's gift of grace for profit. Meanwhile, a monk named Martin Luther, a theologian of the scriptures, was questioning his personal salvation. He struggled to understand the scripture in Romans 1, 16-17. Paul proclaims the good news of God's justice, saving us by His grace, not by what we have done. As he studied the passage, he first understood the gospel message that God forgives sins through faith. This new understanding contradicted what he saw practiced in the church. In 1517, he wrote these differences in 95 Theses, which challenged the church he loved to rethink their actions. This marked the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. This movement changed our views on justification, the authority of scripture, and church leadership. People's views of God were no longer limited to fear and judgment but expanded to see him as comforter and savior. The Protestant Reformation stands as one of the most, if not the most, world-changing event since the birth of the church. It wasn't just a single act of the 95 Theses. It wasn't just the single actor of Martin Luther there were thousands of people involved with this over decades. In fact, some say that one of the most important people of the Reformation was a man who died 15 years before Martin Luther was ever alive. In 1397, a man was, was born in Mainz, Germany. And at the age of 53, he developed a machine that for over the next six centuries would stay almost the exact same. His name was Johannes Gutenberg. The machine was the printing press. And without the printing press, 
Martin Luther's message wouldn't have gotten duplicated and sent to all the different people. Without the printing press, the German translation of the Bible completed by Martin Luther in 1522 would not have spread. It wouldn't have been spread and distributed to the masses. You see, before that time, people heard the word through the words of the priests and the pope. But when Martin Luther completed the work in translating Erasmus's Greek New Testament in only 11 weeks, he sent it to the printer, and the printer in October and November of 1522 sold 5,000 copies of that New Testament. It changed the landscape. You see, many people had a hand in this transformation, in this reformation, and I've alluded to it already, that it had monumental effects, not just religiously, but economically, politically, educationally, socially, but I think we'd argue that, that the biggest change was spiritually. The biggest effect. You see, the preaching of the word of God was transformed and Christ was moved to the center of everything. It was a movement from darkness to light. Doctrine was reviewed and focused on and understanding of scripture became the desire of, of all the theologians. And it was essentially the awakening of the church. And it, as pastors, we knew that we wanted to uh, get to the heart of this historic event. How do we get to the heart of this historic event? We decided to preach on the five solas. Some of you don't know what the five solas are or, or what they're about. But these five solas served as the core commitments of the entire Reformation movement. Sola Latin for alone or only. You can hear the word solo when you, when you say the word sola. This was what framed the entire Reformation. It's the entire goal of the Reformation is, is that it would bring the church with a capital C back to the true gospel. And I, I could say boldly that Village Bible Church, that our goal is that our foundation is on these five solas. And as a family, as the Chapmans, our goal is to be founded on the five solas. The solas are solus Christus, meaning Christ alone. Sola Fida, faith alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone, and then what we're preaching today. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. I pray that we can hear from God today and, and not from me. Not from me. So let's ask God for a blessing of our time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that your words be pertinent. That your message is brought forth and that I get out of the way. We love you, God. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing that we need to recognize is that there is a problem. There is a problem, and there's a problem then, and there's a problem now. 
And the problem is, is that we are the authority. We think we are the authority. Just in that statement alone, we can see how it's so contradicting to the fact of saying Scripture alone, that Scripture is the authority. When we start getting our traditions and our culture and our opinions and our life circumstances dictating the truth, chaos, chaos will ensue. I remember one time Sherry and I were having a conversation with one of our children and in the conversation, I, I, I called my child out on it and I said, whoa, 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 you're speaking against Scripture right now. What you're saying is not following Scripture. My child wasn't happy that I said that and said, I don't care. This is how I feel. I said, we filter everything through Scripture. Everything that we do is, is through the Holy Bible as much as we know how. Martin Luther, his entire issue was the fact that he did not want to obey the Pope when the Pope was contradicting Scripture. That, that's, that's how this all started. He did not want the Pope contradicting what was in the Bible. When Luther was asked to recant his teaching, he said, quote, Here I stand. I can do none other. God help me. Unquote. And I'm guessing Martin Luther was probably thinking of Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, it was the Pope who had the authority at that time. And now it seems that everyone has a voice. That everyone has a voice. And in fact, every opinion that is voiced is considered valid. Isn't that interesting to think about of how we have got to that point? You know, it was just after my freshman year of college. I, I had changed my major, I told you, to religion philosophy, and I was taking tons of classes. And I was in these classes, and, and they were telling me at, at this very liberal school that the Bible wasn't true. That some of it was good, others were just little stories that were just that, little stories. And I remember it was the last day. Literally, I was packing up my room, and my roommate, who I don't know was a Christian at the time, we got in a conversation, and I said something to the fact of, oh, no, that's just a story in, in the Bible. That's not true. And he looked at me, and he said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I said, well, that's just, not, that's just fake. They just wrote that. that. That's not anything to do with God. And he said, who gives you the right to choose what is true and what is not. If you're saying that's not true, none of it's true. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit grabbed me and literally I've committed to trusting in God's word as the holy truth from that point forward. In fact, that next semester, I came back as a sophomore and, and I had the, the liberal teacher who was teaching, who was uh, head of the department, and she gave us an assignment to write, what is the Bible? Oh, I wrote a masterful piece from my vantage point of what the Bible was. And I said, it is the inerrancy of, uh, of God. It is, it, there's no error. 
It, it is perfect. It is beautiful from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books. And I couldn't wait to get that paper back. And when I got that paper back, it turned red. And on the top was a big D+. Plus. And she said, in big letters, please write about truth, not opinion. I never backed down. You see, with the invention of social media, the individual's voice and opinion has even blown up even more. Our opinions have been created as valid. You know, it's gotten so crazy where, where all of these truths somehow, all these fake things become truth. My daughter went to the doctor the other day, and you know how the nurse you know, sees you before the doctor comes in and, 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 was, and the nurse was doing her, the full checkup and, and got in and, and they do that little interview and the nurse asked my daughter this. What was your gender at birth? She said, girl. But then she said, what are you currently identifying as? My daughter was extremely annoyed by that, but that's the point that we have got. You see, when there is no absolute truth, then anything is open. Anything is allowed. Anything is okay. And this was a problem then, and it continues to be a problem today. But the great thing is, there's a prescription. There is a prescription. And you know what the prescription is? It's a fact that God's word is the authority. Amen? Amen. In Psalm 119, we see four things. Four things that God's word is. And the first is found in verses 89 through 91. Psalm 119, 89 through 91. It says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day for all things are your servants. God's word is permanent. It is permanent. I like the way Psalm 119, 160 says just a little bit further. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever that's the great thing about the Bible that's the great thing about God's word is that nothing can be taken from it so many people have tried to take stuff away have tried to add things to it but the fact remains that if you if you continue to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you through his word and you continue to use scripture to prove scripture, you will be strengthened. You will understand the truth. And as pastors, every week we do our best to humbly bring forth God's word. We're very serious about God's word here at Village Bible Church. Very serious. And we understand that as we preach the word, whether it's in the classroom with the children, whether it's bringing forth the word here or at small group, that we have a challenge and that we can easily stumble. We can easily say 
something wrong. In fact, as, as an elder and as the elders meet, it is a joy for me to report that everything that we review and we discuss, we take the Bible and we screen everything through it. That's our goal because we know Scripture alone is the authority. Scripture alone. We also believe that God's Word is precious. That it is precious. Psalm 119, 92 through 93 says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. This is exactly what happened to Martin Luther. He was a theologian that fell in love with God's word. He fell in love with God's word and he understood that it was permanent and precious. Just a few verses back in that same Psalm, verse 70, it says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. How do you see God's word? Truly, ask yourself that right now. Are you bored with God's word? How many Bibles do you have at your home that never get read? Five Bibles? Six? Twenty? My good friend Busy. His name's Bizarat. We call him Busy from Ethiopia. He tells me of a story of when he was 16 years old. 16. A man told him, as he lived in a Muslim home, a man told him John 3.16. That verse has come up multiple times today, by the way. A man told him John 3.16, just that one verse, and he, the Holy Spirit, took a hold of him and he committed his life to Jesus Christ. His family was disgusted. His family tied him to the top of the roof of the van, drove him multiple hours on top of the van because they didn't want to uh, get his evil spirit, and dropped the 16-year-old off at Addis Ababa which is the capital city in Ethiopia. Busy found his way to the city trash dump where, where he, he dug through the dump to, to find food. Maybe some clothes to add on top. He would look for things to trade or sell. You know, at night, Busy, he would, he would take the garbage and he'd put it over the top of them because he was afraid that, that wild whooshas, wild dogs, would come and eat him in the night. But you know what Busy did? Busy found a church that was close to the dump. And he'd sneak over to that church when no one was looking because they didn't want a smelly, homeless scavenger around. And he would read one verse in the Bible. Sometimes he'd read two verses and he'd, he'd just say them over and over and over. And then he'd go out into the dump. And they'd always wait for the, for the trucks to beep, beep, back in. And dump the garbage because that was the greatest stuff when you can get the fresh garbage. And he would 
just share that verse or those two verses that he learned over and over with different people. Anyone who would listen. Busy's now in his 30s. He's been to America multiple times. Because of Busy's commitment and understanding how precious God's word is. Dozens of churches at Cora, at the city dump, have become uh, vibrant. God's word is being preached all over. I've had the opportunity to actually preach in one of his churches that he started with all the people that live in the city dump. It's because he held the word as precious. God's word is permanent, it's precious, and it's also persevering. Back to Psalm 119, 94 through 95, it says, I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. Sherry and I, that's my wife, we just rejoice that we have God's word in our life. So many life situations over our last 20 years of marriage and we just fall to God's word, knowing its truth, knowing that it can persevere us. It can help us uh, through those tough times. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will Make straight your paths. There was a missionary from India, Jonathan Mirage. And he'd come to our church that Sherry and I used to attend. And, and, and every time he got to America, he would, he would preach probably a Sunday morning and a Sunday night. And Jonathan and his wife had seen some horrible things in his day as he served in India for decades. But inevitably, in his message, probably twice, in the middle and at the end, he would say three things that just locked in my brain. Three things that just changed the way I thought about things. The three things he'd say is, read the word Read the word, read the word. Understand that God's word is permanent. It's precious. It helps us to persevere. And it's truly perfect. It's truly perfect. It is perfect in all ways. And some of you here, most likely, there's somebody here or maybe many of you here that do not believe that the Bible is true. You believe that, that it is a bunch of stories. It's a bunch of things that, that have just been written to help somebody gain something. One person said, men do not reject the Bible because of, it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. In 1949, there was a young man who absolutely doubted the scriptures. 1949, this young preacher was at a crossroads and he was trying to figure out 
after reading a whole bunch of liberal commentators, what should I do? Should I, should I give up the pulpit? Because if I don't trust that God's word is, is true and perfect, then I should not be preaching it. So on a retreat, this young man decided to go beg God for help. Here's words from this pastor's biography. He said, I got up and I took a walk. The moon was out. The shadows were long in San Bernardino Mountains surrounding the retreat center. Dropping to my knees there in the woods, I opened the Bible at random on a tree stump in front of me. I could not read in the shadowy moonlight, so I had no idea what text lay before me. Back at Florida Bible Institute, that kind of woodsy setting had given me a natural pulpit for proclamation. Now it was an altar where I could only stutter into prayer. The exact wording of my prayer is beyond recall, but I must have echoed my thoughts. Oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. You see, I was trying to be on the level with God, but something remained unspoken. At last, the Holy Spirit freed me to say, Father, I am going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. And in my heart and mind, I knew a spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and had been won. Those are the words of the evangelist Billy Graham. He has done mighty things understanding that God's word is perfect. Proverbs 35 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Psalm 12:6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on earth, refined seven times. Psalm 19.7 says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We also need to understand that Scripture is the revelation of God. It is the revelation of God. 2 Peter 1.21 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah talks about it. It's because of God that I write these words. There is a necessity that Scripture is the revelation of God, not the revelation of man. It's the argument that Martin Luther was making. You see, Martin Luther had no problem following the authority of the Pope. He had no problem following the authority of the Pope. He just couldn't do it when the Pope was contradicting Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, through 17, powerful verses. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is his revelation. Scripture is also reliable. 
it's also reliable. In 2 Timothy, it says, Scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training. That's why Sherry and I, we dig into God's Word for our discipline, for our life. God's Word doesn't return void, and, and it can help our children to eventually be wise. And finally, we see that Scripture is resourceful. That it's resourceful. It allows for a man or woman to be complete in the Lord. It allows us to be able to perform every good work. We love because Christ first loved us. We know and understand how we are supposed to act and react because of God's word. It helps us with our outlook on life. But we need to do a good job of putting this into practice. We have to do a good job to put it into practice. And, and first and foremost, we need to know the Word. We need to know the Word. We can know the Word by memorizing it and by meditating on it. And, and even before memorizing it, we need to go back to Jonathan Raj and we need to read the Word. We need to get into it and we need to read it. You see, if, if you want to change your life, if you want to affect your life in, in real ways, some, some of you say, oh yeah, I'll go on a diet. I'll, I'll eat my vitamins. I'll exercise. I'll read a whole bunch of self-help books. I'll go to that leadership conference. All of those things are great. But nothing, nothing, I repeat, nothing will change your life like if you read... God's word. If you read God's word, your life will be changed. I promise you that. Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As an educator, I was an educator for 16 years, we would say that it was impossible to apply what we could not remember. We would do everything we could as educators, not to create situations where the students needed to cram for tests because we knew that there would be zero application after that. We wanted them to hide the information in their lives, in their minds, so they could pull it out when they needed. That's why we memorize Scripture. That's why we focus in on memorization because we can pull it out in situations where, where we need it. And God and the Holy Spirit, they will bring, He will bring it out in us. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Some people are good at memorizing Scripture. Sometimes it gets annoying how good they are. I have one friend who's working on memorizing books of the Bible. But you could start small. Start with a single verse. Get some little wins. I have written in here, and this is probably the fourth time this verse has been brought up, John 3.16. That's a great way to start. The first verse I ever memorized, Galatians 2.20. 
I like it. I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in faith, I live through the, I, the, the pressure of hearing you say that. Read my signature in my email. <laughs> Scripture is beautiful. You see, once you memorize it, then you begin to meditate on it. Just like busy. Use busy's example. Go and memorize a scripture and then go and, and, and tell somebody about it. Read the scripture and teach somebody what you just read. Meditate on God's word. Finally, do the word. Do the word. Don't just know the word. Many people know God's word, but they are not doers. We just got done with a series in James. James 1 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is a, like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what it was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, oh, into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We should listen to the word. Scripture is clear that we need to be hearers of the word. Even in, in, in that portion of scripture I just read, it is saying, please hear the word. Hear the word. Read the word. We have to be hearers. But it's dangerous. Because if, if our hearts are dull, then that's all we do. We hear it and we never act on it. And Jesus warns us against that. And that's why it's vitally important, I believe, that we love the Word. That we love it. If you love the Word, it, your hearing gets so much better. You ever been to a movie? And, and you go to the movie and, and all of a sudden the movie gets kind of boring. And you're watching the movie and, and, and you realize that, huh, maybe I'll get some more popcorn. Right in the middle of the movie. And, hey, anyone need popcorn? I'll go out and get it. Because you're bored. You're not hearing what, what the people are saying on, on the screen. You're not, you're not understanding what they're talking about. Because you're bored. You're disengaged. But there's other movies. There's other movies where you're the shh person. Where, where you're, oh, wow, what, what are they going to say? And then you go and you tell people about it after, oh, you got to see this. It was so good. And, and this lady did this, and that guy did that. That's with God's word the exact same thing. Some of you get into God's word, or you're listening to God's word, or you're studying God's word, and you are bored. And you're the typical squirrel. But when you fall in love with this book, 
understanding that the words are eternal, all of a sudden, things start coming out that you never noticed before. And, and, and your love for it just grows more and more. That's the beauty of Scripture. Essentially what I'm saying is, you will live it. You will start living it. You will live out God's word through your life. And, and it's how it happens. When you fall in love with God's word and you start appreciating what it's saying and understanding that it's the revelation of God, then that's absolutely perfect. All 66 books. You'll know and understand how to serve God purely with great excitement. You're going to continue to make mistakes and continue to fail because you are who you are. But God's word is absolutely perfect. I offer one more challenge. One more challenge. If I could have every eye look up here, young and old, one more challenge. Read the word. Read the word. Read the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful to have the opportunity to serve you and to worship you We are so thankful that you have given us your word in this book. We are so thankful that that this book transforms us, that your words pierce our heart, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We are so thankful that we could read the words that we have been crucified with you. It is no longer us who live, but it's all about you. Just as my brother Tim said, John 3.16, that you gave us that word, that you teach us that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We are so thankful for his life and his death and his resurrection. In his name we pray. Amen.